Before we start today, I want to talk about my sponsor this quarter, Spec. Spec is also a leader in the fraud tool orchestration space with their patented TrustCloud platform. This allows you to connect to any fraud vendor through a no-code implementation as well. Think of this as a single connection to a gateway that allows an instant connection to any tool that you might need without having to do an 18-month integration only to find out the tool wasn't what you wanted. You can run multiple POCs, answer new threats with the latest tool, and tweak your multi-layer approach literally at the click of a button. The Spec Trust Cloud lets you do this all yourself without having to bother your dev teams. Please check them out by visiting www.specprotected.com to learn how they have changed the fraud fighting game. And let's get into this episode. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of that Fraud Boxer podcast. You know you've been waiting for it. Today, I have a pretty big treat in store for you guys today. We got a legend in the building with us right now. Well, virtually in the building. I got Alistair Faulkner from Darwinium here today. How are you doing? G'day, Jordan. Great to talk to you again, my friend. Uh, it was good catching you up at the uh, Merchant Risk Council just recently in Vegas. So yeah. great to be back. I think you guys made quite a splash this year as we were just doing our pre-show notes here. We kind of were talking about that. Um, I had people coming up to me there asking um, about you guys and saying that you guys are one of their more innovative things that they've seen in a long time. So really excited to get you on, on here today to talk about that and what you guys are doing and how it's unique from what everybody else is doing and spread the message to those people that might have not really been there. So shall we start? Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. Yeah. So uh, you and I met, geez, probably at least a decade ago, at least, um, mm. probably even more than that. You were at a little tiny company that no one had ever heard of, right? Called Threat Metrics, <laughs> that I think one in two people were using at that time. Uh, yeah. So kind of run me through a little bit about that. I think I was on the advisory yeah. board for a year there. But you you have quite a big history with Threat metrics and and you were instrumental in that product that a lot of us still use to this day. So can you kind of run yeah, us through no, that? Fantastic. Yeah, no, no, I mean, um, uh, threat metrics was a was a great you know great achievement. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed. So I was a co-founder there, and I ran products was a chief products officer, and you know, but one of the greatest things achieved was you know had a great financial outcome in terms of its acquisition by LexisNexis for investors and employees. But actually the thing I was most proud of was, you know, we were protecting tens of millions of people's identities, you know, from being used on a daily basis. You know, one in every $3 spent online in the US, for example, threat metrics technology helps approve or accelerate. And over a billion, uh, you know, user accounts, including some of the largest banks and e-commerce sites in the world. So that was super gratifying, um, you know, and when, Threat metrics, which was a pioneer, in, I guess, in device technology or device intelligence, but then yeah. later became known as the digital identity company, you know, using anonymous shared intelligence. Um, and that was, you know, one of the key reasons for LexisNexis acquisition. You know, it was something that was global. They could see it was a big demand for their customers. Um, but yeah, it was, it's really gratifying to build something that, you know, is helping people's lives because um, at the end of the day, building companies is really hard. And um, you want to have yeah. some motivation other than just, you know, the uh, shares, which sometimes feel like just 
you know, wallpaper you know, in your toilet it's, that may or may not be worth something. It's funny. I was talking to another company this morning um, just for my own purposes, and they were talking about how they're they're raising funds um, mm -hmm. and but they're not really raising funds, you know, like if people want to invest, they're open to it. But they're like they told me and I thought it was really stuck out to me is like they're making this company because they love what they're doing and not mm -hmm. to let cash out and walk away. You know, they're like they're like, yeah. even if we got acquired, we'd still want to be here and still work here. And I thought that that really stuck with me this morning. Um, but, certainly, and that, I think that's yeah, the, um, yeah. and that's certainly the case with Darwinium, and certainly was the case with Threat Metrics. Is that you know, and, and any entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, I always tell them that one of the key reasons we were successful was that we fell in love with the problem and not the solution. You know, that it was back then. It was you know, anyone can attack from anywhere at any time, pretending to be anyone. And you know, I see it saw the writing on the walls back at the found foundations about two thousand and six. Um, when Threatmetrics was founded, where I could see that there was these um, networks, these IP addresses that were compromised, and they belonged to some of the world's largest networks, and that people were using it at that time, the primary attack, what they were doing was sending spam, you know, and then it was didn't take too much of a bright spark to put two and two together and go, hang on, if you can use this to send spam, then why wouldn't you be doing this on mass to pretend, for example, there's a compromised IP address in the US and you're somewhere in Russia, you know, use that as a hop-off point to disguise your true kind of location and your true true device identity. And so it was really kind of that hindsight of like, well, how do you solve this problem? And now with um, what's driving Darwinian, you know, and our mission, uh, you know, as we say, you know, survival of the unfittest, you know, based on, you know, Darwinian That's you know, good. Himself and an evolutionary theory. But, you know, how do we live in a world? How do we survive in a world? where it will be increasingly, if not impossible, to differentiate between a synthetic interaction and, and a real human being. And then even, you know, the question I like to ask the people is like, how is your current fraud and risk uh, environment going to work when today the assumption is, you know, bots and bots attacks are bad and, you know, your good customers, you know, are human beings that you need to let through. Um, but, you know, in the world of chat GPT now that it can go do purchases on your behalf and it can, you know, go spot it, you know, basically do anything you want, kind of like a, yeah. a, an Alexa or a Siri on steroids, you know, how are you going to operate when your best customers are a chatbot, right? And it's not just, is it a good chatbot? Is it a bad chatbot? Is, is that chatbot being used to commit fraud? You know, how are we going to survive in that world? And your biggest threat is uh, human bot farms. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It turns it turns the world on its head. So I think that that is is a great preface to the things that we're about to talk about um, on this because I mean I I even have some things that I could say when we get to it about more like the chat GPT stuff because I've been playing around with it quite a bit lately. Uh, but I think like um, obviously like your um, your you have a little bit of an accent, so you're calling in today from uh, Bondi Beach over there in Australia, right? Yeah, living living the dream. Uh, that, yeah, no, I think yeah, that um, is a, a dream location for a lot of people. I believe <laughs> <laughs> the only thing the only thing bad about it is the time zones for the rest of the world. But um, uh, yeah, after after uh, Threat Metrics was acquired, I stayed in the US for a year, helping with the transition. And um, you know, the um, they're very gracious and let me relocate back to Australia. Uh, you know, for for another year, and then. Um, you know, that was really just the beginnings, kind of sitting on the beach, eating too many chicken schnitzels and beers and meat pies yeah. and enjoying know, that, that post-acquisition life. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I think people saw me and, and um, saw that I had maybe a little bit too much. But, you know, it was part of it was kind of necessary part of the process of, 
you know, building the next new, new thing. And mm. it, uh, as I said, I've always fell in love with the problem and it's still what really concerned me was, you know, and a couple of things. One is just AI and I think people's eyes have opened with chat GPT yep. for the first time. Oh, 100%. Time. Like that completely changed the narrative like almost overnight about what AI is. Like it, it was a it, real world demonstration and application that was accessible to everybody. And everybody, like it was no longer this thing that they think of like computer nerds programming in a lab somewhere. It was mm -hmm. right there and anybody could use it. And I've been talking a while for anyone who would listen um, <laughs> it's about deep fakes and how AI, you know, is basically obliterates, um, you know, a lot of the things that we're rely on today, you know, um, people's voice when that, you know, they come in through a call center, you know, you can synthetically copy anyone's voice with 20 seconds worth of, of audio, you know, you can copy a video, you can create videos of folks just based on the data that, and the videos that are out there publicly, you know, if, if you're a, if you're someone who's fished a customer, you know, and they're typing in their, their password, of course, they're going to be able to synthetically replay or add sufficient noise, you know, to, to get past keystroke biometrics. And so it really does blow apart a lot of the assumptions on which the foundations of which, you know, for prevention has been built. And that's that's one of the key things that, you know, and I'm worried about in the sense that it's, you know, geopolitically, we have entered into um, a new hot cold war from a cybersecurity perspective. I think people, the other piece that people have woken up, there's talk, say the US really needs its own dedicated you know, cyber warfare uh, kind of division, you know, like you have the Air, Sea and Navy. Um, and, you know, that's- for Don't forget news. about Space Force. We got the Space Don't Force too. Space Force. <laughs> um, you know, that that we are in a situation where we have adversaries, you know, criminal crime gangs, and they're both actually go hand to hand with uh, many state-sponsored countries like North Korea, for example, where, you know, their job is to acquire everybody's identities in a, in a country to be able to create synthetic twins of those identities, to be able to create, um, you know, um, we've seen misinformation. Um, what we haven't really seen right now is full scale. Like back when back when threat metrics was started, you know, I was I was looking at it and going, hey, one in every kind of a hundred or so attacks were, were fraudulent or, or payments were fraudulent. Like, so it was a relatively single digit number. Of course, it burst depending on, on different industries. Um, and I was like, what happens when it's actually, you know, not, you know, 5% of, you know, stuff is bad. What if it's only 5% of stuff is good, you know, it's and a lot of noise. white noise, you know, and yeah. that white noise, you know, to begin with, with these bots are, you know, certainly rudimentary and easy to understand and get around. But then, you know, that white noise actually becomes, you know, truly chat GPT and others um, crawling through you through your website. And, you know, one of the, one of the, um, process of, of, you know, founding threat metrics and growing and working with some of the best customers in the world, you know, and still, you know, it's one of the preeminent for prevention solutions that's, that's, that's out there um, was, you know, was one kind of use case, which I think help will help people land for fraud prevention folks who's, you know, executives or bosses saying, what, what does it mean for us and what should we do? Things like chat GPT. So, you know, there was this little company called Yodely, you know, and Plaids and others, you know, we work with banks and others where they'd say, you know, uh, threat is often deployed for risk-based authentication, you know, at login by, by many organizations. And then, so you have this choice of uh, Yodely connecting in to collect data. And so at that point, because you are only seeing that login, you had a choice. Do we just let Yodely in or do we block all of Yodely? And clearly, you know, that's, you, you let them in. 
So, but then what's the solution? And they come in through that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the same thing's going to happen kind of like today where you have bot detection folks who are specializing in like, hey, we need to be able to differentiate both good bot crawlers like Google and others, which help us with our traffic ranking, but we also need to keep the malicious stuff out. Now, that's not just going to be stuff browsing and searching your website. You're going to be having a choice of, if you don't have the right tools, do we let ChatGPT on or not? And of course, the answer to that's going to be absolutely because- Yeah, you want to be indexed, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, and exactly. And actually, people who are going to be using ChatGPT are probably going to be the more affluent and the more advanced ones, you know, are the customers exactly the kinds of customers that you want. And so, you know, what that means is, this point in time checking, you know, which is where the fraud prevention really is today for the majority of people, they call an API at authentication or an API at payment or an API at onboarding. And, you know, um, and so many cases you can kind of stitch some of those, you know, um, bits of information together, but it's really in the gaps is where fraud is where good customers are going to get caught in the net and where fraud is actually going to still be. Yeah. That's super interesting because if you look at it, like if you think of it, like, it used to be like you you know you open up a port in in like your router or something at home to try and let that little piece of traffic like usually for like an Xbox a PlayStation or a streaming box through you know but then like what happens when the bad stuff comes through that same port too you know like they figure it out there's like the port scanners and all that but mm. it's the same thing like we're 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 doing some stuff now I can't really talk about it in the public about what we're doing on our site but it's the same thing as where we're going through these these we're looking at all of these connections that we have and we see this massive amount of traffic coming through this one area but then we see well it's a marketplace traffic you know so mm. what we can't block it all but it's the same thing like you're saying is like now we have to scrutinize that specific traffic that's coming through that one connection because there is noise in there too but that gets to be a lot harder because it looks like it's all coming from the same source it's like let, let's say let's say you're a, a website that allows like reselling to amazon you know so then in theory like you would have to have refunds coming through th through amazon too so if someone you might have plugged up all the refund plugging on on, on like refund abuse on your own site but if you use a marketplace to, to give you additional like 3PL authentications, like that's now that's open to abuse too. And you're hoping that like they do something, but they're, they're not, Amazon doesn't give a shit, <laughs> you know, like they just want the <laughs> sales you, too. I'm glad you brought up networking actually, because um, I say that Darwinium is the company I've been building my entire life or building upon. Yeah. I've said that to me a couple of years, a couple of times now over the years. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, and because it's true, but you know, part of that first journey, you know, I worked at, I did my master's engineering and then I, worked at Accenture kind of doing um, SAP implementations for large manufacturing organizations. And then I, you know, co-founded a networking technology company called NetPriva. And, you know, it was basically very similar insight for that first company. It was acquired by Expand Networks, an Israeli company that um, was in turn acquired by uh, Riverbed, probably one of the uh, preeminent kind of networking um, uh, technology companies in the world. And essentially the insight there was we'd roll out and kind of how that got started and that would be relevant for the Darwinian kind of journey was I'd, we're, we were talking to customers who were saying, hey, we've got SAP now. Everybody, you know, saying, hey, we've got enough uh, database, we've got enough servers, it's performance. But when you talk to everybody in the branch network, so they'd say this is slow, you know, it doesn't work. We don't know why. And everyone was pointing fingers and blaming each other. And so we invented this technology that you... Effectively, it was like a, a router. It was actually a bridge to use the technical term. They installed in your head office. And what it did was we had some packet scheduling, which meant that we could prioritize latency sensitive apps yeah. over others. So, you know, what was happening in these branch networks is they had plenty of CPU, plenty of servers. 
but someone was downloading something or they were using a peer-to-peer application and then their voice over IP or their critical application would kind of go offline. And so that was my first kind of insight into, you know, you needed ways of being able to inspect that traffic, get visibility, then be able to put policies in place which could provide the right amount of access. So it was really kind of, that was the very beginning. And then at, at Threat Metrics, actually, how we started was as an IP reputation. So that got acquired. And then, you know, I met David Jones and we had a mutual acquaintance who was a board member. And, you know, like, what, what, what are you up to, David? And he's like, well, I want to build an IP reputation company. And I'm like, that's that's super interesting. Um, the only problem is no one wanted to buy it um, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, we'd, we'd go to, um, you know, large merchants and, and we'd say, hey, look, we've got this intelligence on, say, for example, we saw this IP address sending spam. This should be helpful to you when you're trying to make a fraud decision, shall we, you know, accept this transaction? And they were like, yeah, can you come back when you've solved the AOL problem? Like, what do you mean? They're like, well, all of these transactions come from the same IP address, you know? And so, yeah, a lot of bad stuff comes from it too, but the majority of it's good. And it's the, again, it's the same problem with the chat GPT analogy. You know, if it's doing transactions on your website, it's just not just good or bad. You have to have better fidelity. And so that's yeah. when we, come, um, you know, came up with some unique approaches. We pioneered device uh, intelligence, device fingerprinting. There were others at the time, and, you know, credit to 41st Parameter and Iovation were, were slightly ahead of us uh, at, at the time. Uh, we, we soon eclipsed them, but um, they were definitely uh, pioneers in their own right. And then, you know, it was using that ability, that and other kinds of networking uh, technologies or techniques that I'd kind of acquired over my um, uh, experience, if you like, doing things like packet fingerprinting, understanding that device, how it's connecting to you, that was really kind of part of the signal intelligence. Proxy piercing was a big part of that, actually. Yeah, I I use I utilize that heavily, yeah. and I'm, I remember playing with that when you guys were using that back at my my time at Fandango. Like, like you guys did have some really, really forward thinking things that that we could use, and it it was really, it was, it seemed overwhelming at the time. But once you like were able to peel back the layers and understand what it did and how to use it, like the intelligence that you got on a device because nobody knew what we were really doing, you know, to their devices yet. And like, I remember like I had this one, this Chinese fraud group that um, had set up as a triangulation scheme, just super typical triangulation scheme. Um, They had their own website, you know, and then they would actually take people, put credit cards in and buy tickets from them. And then they would um, use stolen credentials to buy them from me and fulfill their orders. And then if that person didn't come back in a, in a reasonable enough time, they'd steal their credit card information, start using that <laughs> to make the purchases. But <laughs> I remember like they, it was just so easy to find them uh, because mm-hmm. of all the crazy stuff you guys were doing. And then they started using the proxies and all that. And uh, like the, 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 how pulling those through and, and figuring it out, they could not ever figure out how I was ever doing it. And they started, they started actually putting my name in the um, email addresses, like they're trying to cuss me out while they're making purchases. But I actually um, will say that uh, you guys helped me solve a couple of crimes um, using that software too, that like people did serious jail time from, from my side alone That's, using I'm data from Trevetrics. <laughs> you know, you got to help in getting out of the whack-a-mole kind of mode. You know, actually, you know, one of the things I'm proud of is one of the, the largest uh, cybercrime prosecution in the UK was was done uh, leveraging some of the threat metrics uh, intelligence under the hood. So, you know, nothing, nothing makes me, um, you know, feel more prouder, you know, getting out of bed, knowing that you help keeping people safe. Um, and that's actually kind of, you know, relevant again, you know, to this, you know, device fingerprinting, it was a new approach 
um, you know, was interesting in that journey where we had to really pioneer and go, you know, fraud was typically used to just receiving, getting what they got, you know, from the rest of the organization it was typically IP address and data, you know, and it was a new thing for both, you know, and it was hats off to the fraud prevention, fraud prevention professionals who saw the value of it, who would say, hey, IT, you know, can you embed these web tags or, you know, you know SDKs in a mobile device, for example, because this is the intelligence that we need. So, you know, people take that for granted today, but, you know, there are some real innovators like yourself and others that really set the course for the rest of rest of the industry. And kind of where, where uh, Threat Metrics was back in 2008, 2009, actually, was when was, uh, 2009 was our first Merchant Risk Council, um, um, uh, is exactly where Darwinium is today, where you have, you know, early adopters and folks who are seeing the promise and seeing that, the way we're doing things is like fighting with our hands tied behind our backs. You know, we, you know, there's got to be a better way, you know, and I'd say of all the, all the companies that I talk with and, and at the Merchant Risk Council, it was just overwhelmed with the response, you know, um, you know, from the message and, you know, the quality of the, you know, and hats off to the team for the quality job that they did there. But, you know, the, every organization I talk to has these three problems. The first is they've deployed one of everything. They've got some bot detection, yeah. they've got some, they've got <laughs> some risk-based authentication. Well, we've been got... talking multi-layers for 10 years. We've been saying we need to buy one of everything. And like I right. think that this that this this future in in uh like is is orchestration. I do think that the future is orchestration. So I think that anything that plays into that orchestration piece is gonna be now whether that be all the things or whether that be one or two of the things is to be seen. But yeah, yeah, you know. So I mean it's I mean you're right, but the layers, the problem is is that um the layers don't have that connectivity tissue to actually understand and piece together the whole user's journey across web, mobile apps, and APIs. Like apps are way more complex than they were were in the past. And just so having a touch point on the web or a touch point on the mobile, uh, you know, mm -hmm. or the APIs, you need to have that full full visibility. So they so they've got you know they've deployed one of everything, and unfortunately, good customers are still getting caught in the net, and you know bad guys are still getting through. The second problem that they have is that, and, 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 I, and I'd say along with that, many of these customers have a motivation to outsource fraud. So maybe they outsource some of the payment risk, you know, maybe they're using a signified or a forter, for example, or, you know, they're really looking to the fraud folks to be experts. But what really happens is, you know, these tools are API based, which means there's not really possible to call them at every single step in a customer's journey without slowing that customer down. That's funny. Yeah. Uh -huh. One challenge. And then the other one is that every single fraud prevention, you know, company essentially says, here's our score. Here's what we recommend you should do with it. And then the customer's kind of left with a bag going, well, how do I stitch together all of these different signals? Because they're not always from one single provider. As I said, they might be getting some bot detection up, you know, stream and the security, then maybe security owns that piece. Um, maybe they do own the authentication. Maybe they don't. Um, but at the end of the day, what they want to be able to have fine-grained control of is the, the user's experience in a risk-measured way. And to do it at the least cost and the most efficient and the most performance with the least amount of impact to that user's journey. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, aspiring to get to the holy grail of being able to be dynamic and being able to... Um, change because there's no fraud tool that will solve every problem now and in the future. You know, it's always an iterative game, but engineering is the single largest bottleneck for every single yeah. risk initiative that I, for every customer I talk to, you know, it's like, this is great. We love to try X and Y, but 
you know, we're booked out for like 18, 18 months, two year yep. roadmap, how are we going to squeeze into that? And it's really, it's even much harder also, you know, I got a good appreciation of Darwinian, um, you know, Thermetrics wasn't so focused on things like abuse and trust and safety where um, maybe there is no transaction evolved. You know, it's basically exploiting application or business logic or policy logic. And um, what, what happens is this tension is that at least on the fraud side, you can kind of update some rules and kind of change, you know, some of the scores to kind of finesse things a little bit. But when you're dealing with some of these more business logic or business, you know, um, uh, threats is, uh, and abuse threats, is that there's this continual competition where it's actually the application itself that might have to be updated. And so, you know, and the application teams always have something else to do and build. And so your trusted safety teams like, we know what we need to do is just getting it somehow to get it done. So it's, it's, it's a real challenge. So, you know, number one was that everyone's deployed, you know, in terms of challenges we've talked to, you know, challenges that customers come to me with is they've deployed one of everything. Engineering is the single biggest bottleneck. And the third one is really a macroeconomic um, uh, piece, which is based on recession and a lot of companies being laid off. And, you know, uh, a lot of people are being asked, how do we do more with less? You know, and that comes down to both tool sets, you know, like how to, you know, can we get vendor consolidation? Um, but it also comes down to the fact that if you're, if you look at this organization and right now, there still is two camps, there is security and fraud, yep, you know, and that's correct. everywhere you go, there are still two camps, right? But at the end of the day, they're all really, and I'm talking about customer facing our application security, site security, they're all trying to achieve the same thing, which is how do we protect our customers? How do we keep their data safe? And how do we protect our reputation and how do we, you know, protect our revenue? Um, they're just seizing different parts of the elephant, you know? And so what we're also seeing as part of this trend is that, um, you know, they need to work closely together. Many organizations actually, fraud is starting to, in terms of e-commerce, report into security. And that can be different ways depending on the different industries. But um, but the, I guess the, the, um, the takeaway point though is that, Fraud and security can no longer work as separate islands. If we're I going think, to solve, problems. yeah, and I think over the last, I've done a couple of panels, um, definitely talking about that and how to how to communicate with your security team internally if you don't, if you're not already, and that if you're not mm -hmm. already, like you need to be. And how, like I've said it a couple of times here on, on this podcast, like me internally at my company, I meet with my security team every every other Thursday. I meet with mm -hmm. them, and we both just all we do is we we have an hour booked. We don't always use it, but we just get on there. And we say, these are our projects. What are your projects? What are you trying to solve? What is what we're trying to solve? And so much there's overlap into that. Like even like, mm. even doing like this, this like a, a customer authentication is, is a great thing, you know? Like it's not necessarily solving the identity of the customer, but it's authenticating the customer as they log into your site. And those are projects mm. that I think a lot of people are trying to like figure out right now because it's how do you how do you let people log into your site without 2FAing them if you don't have to, without doing a caption? Like how do you get people in there? How can you validate their identity passively? And the fraud teams seem to be working on the same thing that the security teams seem to be working on. So you really really need yeah. to be communicating on all the little things because you never know. And it's the same thing. Like if the fraud team might be saying like all these purchases are coming on bots. Okay, great. You might be seeing, and I have all this bot traffic isolated, but if you haven't told your security team, they haven't been able to tune like the, the perimeter models, like the things that perimeter X or any stuff that's coming right. in through like your cloud player, your Akamai to try and actually stop those bots up front. But if you share that information, you might even be able to kill that completely upstream. So communication, everybody communication. That's perfect, and I, uh, that's a good segue. And I didn't uh, actually, we didn't stage that 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 um, that talk, but that actually—that's how really good I am. 
um, for sure. They, um, but look, you hit the nail on the head actually was one of the key crucial problems today. So it's not stopping from automated attack. It's not solving from manual human attacks. It's for all of the above, you know, and um, what happens today by and large is security team, you know, deploys some automation protection tools, um, you know, might be capture, might be, you know, bot detection. The problem is, is that those tools, uh, while they're good at inspecting traffic and devices, I know them very well, um, they have zero customer transactional behavioral context, zero, zero to none. And even sometimes to the point where you're saying you share, want to share data, you know, like fraud will go, hey, look, there's the card number that they, you know, that they, you know, was, was fraudulent. And then they will go, uh, well, how do I key an IP, address, you know, card number into my bot detection? I can't. It doesn't have exactly. the same. Yeah, you don't know what they're trying to buy, what they're attacking. They're always going yeah. after this one specific PS5 or this one specific yeah. thing of protein. Like you, and, and then fraud on the other information. side. <laughs> yeah, fraud on the other side. The big challenge, we, the biggest challenge we had at Through Metrics was actually bots in the sense that you know you're there at the maybe at the downstream, you're at the behest of what's upstream, and you know maybe you're not getting the full signals, or maybe you're getting maybe you're lucky enough to be getting past a bot score, but none of the context, you know. And that was one of the things that. We also pioneered at Thermometrics was to make sure there was full visibility, not just the score, but what were the attributes and the, and the signals. And so you've got these two camps, two birds of a feather never flock together. And you need something new, basically, to be able to stitch across all of that intelligence. So something that's able to scale, like a security tool that can see all your traffic and have full visibility, but then something that actually understands the customer, the transactions, the behavior, and what they're trying to do. And that's what Darwinian effect. I was, gonna, I was just going to say, is that what you guys do? Do you guys do all three of those things? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Darwinian, you know, really saw a lot of the insights that we took from, you know, building threat matrix. And then again, you know, when I was running fraud and identity uh, uh, markets at LexisNexis was seeing, you know, again, those problems I talked about, one of everything, engineering being the problem and saying, look, the perfect place to be able to get around this problem is by being situated in the network like if you are situated in the network or have access to the traffic streams and you can make it configurable then you get everything you get, them all. you get you're able to you know change a dial twist a knob and all of a sudden you could be scoring someone different you could be doing it continuously without introducing latency because it's already going through um, that network but darwinian what we realize is we needed to innovate on multiple areas to pull up this vision of being able to do. And so what does Darwinian do? Well, within five minutes, you're able to deploy, get instant visibility across all your customer user journeys, be able to dynamically enrich your existing um, fraud tools with unique digital signals that turn behavior into identity. It enables you to orchestrate third-party no-code in a way that if you want to try or test different uh, providers, you can do so with ease, enable you to deploy your own or third-party machine learning models continuously across every interaction. And then if you know if you need to take action, you can automate things like you know, shutting down a traffic source, redirecting to a, you know, to a honeypot or you know, initiating an automating a password reset flow, for example. Now, to achieve all the above without requiring any engineering work or effort, being able to go to your site security team and say, press this button and you know get away. We had to integrate across multiple fronts. One of them actually was realizing that every company essentially utilizes what's called a CDN, a content delivery network. Yep. And sometimes they use the term 
the edge to kind of describe that. Yeah. This thing, so this, not just I'm going to ask you questions here because, like, I think I know what a CDN for my audience. Your CDN kind of delivery network is like it's Cloudflare, it's Akamai. I mean, I mean, does, it, does mm -hmm. AWS even technically count as a CDN? Oh, absolutely. Days? Yeah, they have yeah. Cloudfront. We have a, a fantastic uh, integration and implementation with them. Um, so yeah, yeah so CDN <laughs> is that, and then you know the term edge came about because. You know, a lot of these providers are saying, look, we've got all these servers everywhere. It, they can do more than just serve images to, you know, make that serve images faster. We've actually got a general compute program, and that's being termed the edge as opposed to, you know, AWS data centers, which typically is focused in a given region. The edge typically has lots of points of presence closest to your customers so that if you're going to make a decision, that's the place where you want to do it. Now, um, there are many innovations that we had to do to implement on the edge versus via the edge. So what do I mean by that? So, yes, um, <laughs> so you're doing all the questions at... for me. You're doing the questions <laughs> and the answers. I'm just sitting back on well, cruise control over here. <laughs> uh, maybe I've had a bit of practice. I don't know. Um, I guess so. <laughs> but you know, like it is, you know, if you look at your security, let's take, you know, what people might be familiar with, you know, so let's say, your bot detection solution. So, you know, there are many good ones out there. You know, I mean, Shape Security is obviously one of them. You know, Perimeter X, you mentioned. Actually, there's a great uh, startup, uh, Casada, uh, that came out of Australia. I've, that's seen, really I've seen them, again. yeah. But, you know, essentially, a lot of these, they rely on an architecture is really, it's called like a gateway or reverse proxy. And so, essentially, what happens is you redirect, typically via your CDN to say, hey, this portion of traffic or all of it goes through this network that effectively proxies this traffic and then redirects it back to, to your website. That's how those bot detection solutions work. They look at the traffic, you know, they run uh, algorithms and analysis and, you know, have ways and tools of being able to, you know, dynamically update that, et cetera. So that was all well and good for what they were designed for. But there is a, there is a different way, and I'm humble, instead of saying a better way, but there is a, there is, there is a different way, which is I rather think, than, well, sorry. I mean, just, just real quick to like, to like, yeah. I think some of the, the questions, cause I, you know, I've talked to other companies that, that do no code, low code things, but they usually need to deploy at the CDN level. But usually mm -hmm. the question that comes up with that I've been on a couple of the calls uh, mm -hmm. from the security teams is, do we have to route all of our DNS through you? Um, mm -hmm. And that seems to scare people. So, yeah, because I mean, you you go from your own your own DNS and like how you you know like the load bearing that that you're going to be putting on on your CDN when you're routing traffic there. So all of a sudden you're rerouting it through somebody else. Are they going to be able to handle it? And then if they have other companies your same size or bigger, and there's a bunch of them, then what happens? Like, what uh, happens if they no, go down? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that's legitimate, and you know um, that actually was why we designed. I don't. Um, I, I I agree with you, security team. <laughs> Excellent. That's good. They'll be happy to know that. <laughs> yeah. So essentially the big difference is what Darwinium does is we process on the edge, not via the edge. So when I say that, what that means is rather than redirect your traffic to another network or to a, you know, an intermediate network that kind of processes your traffic before handing it off back to your servers, we actually process the request on your CDN. So no traffic goes to the to Darwinium, through Darwinium. Everything is processed on your own infrastructure because I agree with you that, you know, Darwinium was built to scale to be something hopefully that has 10x bigger impact than threat metrics, even if we're successful, uh, is recognizing the fact that 
you know, maybe some industries that's fine for, you know, and if you have urgent, you know, use cases like bot detection, you know, maybe they make allowances for it, but certainly banks and others, you know, it's, it's a hard sell. Typically they say, no, you have to do it on premise, which kind of then again, you know, defeats the whole, Hey, how do we make this easy and deploy with five minutes? So we spent a lot of our time, the first two years, really architecting and pioneering this processing decisioning on the edge. So no data gets routed through us. Effectively what we're doing, every time a request comes in, Darwinian's code runs, which your security team, by the way, unlike third-party JavaScript, has the ability to scan, to deploy, have full control over when changes happen. That's number one. They love to hear that um, because that is you know, one of the do. compromises we had to make for you know, being able to share intelligence around devices. But you know, that whole point of third-party you know, profiling really is starting to go away because people are even starting to question what's the value of device sharing intelligence when effectively all the browsers and all the iOS, you know, manufacturers are making it impossible to share data. Yeah, they are putting others. a lot of walls up on things. And I think that like, that's where, you know, you see like even more rudimentary device ID companies, like they, it's getting harder for them to, to, to make unique devices because, yeah. you know, you get an out of, out of the box iPhone, you put your same, your Facebook, your Instagram on there. Like it looks like everybody else's iPhone at the end of the day, you know, there's no more totally. like driving into how many pictures are on there, what the battery percentage is, you know, how many unread emails, like those things are, the walls are up now. So it's harder to differentiate yeah. individual users because iPhone 15's running the newest 16.4 just looks like iPhone 15 running 16.4 at the end of the day to everybody else. Yeah. And the shields are up, you know, like, they're, they're, I mean, they have, a, they say it's privacy is one of the reasons, but you know, the backhanded side of that is, they already got the distribution, so they've already can first party, you know, identify most people. Um, so, you know, they they have that advantage. So, but you know, the, the core thing here is, and the message to um, you know your listeners is there is a there is a different, better way, I think, to be able to get full visibility. Do that within a five second or five minute deployment, you know, depending on your organization. Get full visibility without the risk of routing traffic through something else, which can be, you know, the challenges. And look, you've got many companies, you know, they're well established, they've got compliance, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, sending any of your traffic through, you've got to trust their security. You've got to trust that there is no malicious actor. You've got to hope that yep. they are as resilient as your CDN provider. And we all know that, you know, Akamai, Cloudflare and AWS, they still go down. And so, you know, it's it's less of a stretch. So, so we had to innovate on that. So we needed to make sure that we could run on the edge Closest to your customer, no traffic goes through us, and the customer has the security team has complete control. That was number one. Secondly, we had to innovate around data and how data is collected. So, you know, one of the things I'm proud of with ThreatMetrics is that we build, you know, a pseudo-anonymous device identity and device intelligence uh, digital digital identity company. That meant, you know, we could correlate and say on a global basis, hey, have we seen this device with this email before? when I say, have we seen it to threat metrics, it was just all strings and, you know, and, and, and hashes and encrypted uh, text. It wasn't something that we could actually reverse engineer, but we could at least help, you know, use those as signals. Um, but, you know, those still kind of rely on passing data to a vendor, you know, any for a vendor with a yeah. shared network and then hope that they encrypt it and hash it as you you know, yeah, as, I see. You should see my great. my agreements that I have, my 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 DPAs that I have with the vendors that I use. They're insane on how much encryption we require and the yeah. uh, what happens if they don't. <laughs> too, yeah, the exactly. From that, you know, <laughs> exactly. So you know, I want to be the first. Don't trust us, company. You know, like 
you don't have to and shouldn't trust us. Why? Because we've built the necessary uh, connections control. So because we run at the edge, one of the things we're able to do is encrypt all the data and you know, do any of the anonymization, et cetera, that we need to do within your company's own infrastructure. That means before a single byte of data gets sent to Darwinium, so any of the data that's extracted that you ask for us to, to analyze on your behalf, is pre-encrypted, pre-hashed, pre-anonymized per your own security policies. You're able to rotate your keys. You're able to, to do all those sorts of things without having to trust Darwinium. And the other uh, benefit that that provides is that you can store all of that data encrypted within your own environment. Darwinium has made a number of innovations to how our portal and our application and decision engine works. So your data actually stays within your environment. We don't touch any data that's PII encrypted or not stays within your control. So Interesting. That That's same with you on database all... storage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we're happy. We can do it, obviously, you know, for, for um, SMBs or anyone that wants us to. But by and large, you know, we're dealing with the biggest and the best in the industry. And, you know, that's something that they've definitely cottoned on to. So, so previously, you know, the thing I wanted to achieve was not have to compromise. You know, how do you get rid of the compromise you typically make? So... To get full visibility, typically you had to either install a reverse proxy or a trusted third party's reverse proxy network. That's a compromise. You know, you wanted to get shared intelligence from fraud prevention, so you had to pass in the data. That's a compromise. Um, you know, when when Darwinium actually the first thing we created was a VPC, something that could be fully installed by an organization within their own control, so within their own environment, right? They could run all of Darwinium within their own environment, and you know, that's just a huge mistake. When I say a huge mistake, we did it deliberately because you know that was some of the you know larger organizations we were targeting. But it's costly for the organization to run this stuff. Um, you know, you can't get um, uh, scale from, from having multiple organizations. Um, you know that it just makes everything you know harder to support that customer. So what we've done with Darwinium is we've separated what's called the data plane from the control plane. The customers own have full control over their data, and that data does not leave their infrastructure. They're, they're, you know, the PII and the sensitive data that they need to control. And then, you know, Darwinium takes care of all the stuff, you know, the machine learning, all these sorts of things that you need to get done to be able to have, a, you know, full configurability, you know, at will at any time, at any point in the user's journey. So we can, so one of the questions that I'm going to have for you then is, is you say at any point in the user's journey, which I think like coming back to what you said a lot earlier about the policy abuse, um, for me specifically, and for I think a lot of other my peers, like policy abuse is very much on our minds. Uh, mm. We see more dollars walking out the doors, I think, a lot of times than on policy abuse. And it's like flagrant. And like, they are, those are the things that like a lot of people don't like. So we, we've, we've spent the last 20 years putting, you know, JavaScript tags on checkout. And then now, then we put it on yeah. login, then we put it on account create. But now we have these other things. Like I think for me, I've always put them on um, on gift like gift card testing, like code testing, and all that to limit that. But there's other things now too. You know, there's like if you have games on your site, if you have any sort of interaction on your site, if you have any sort of changes on your site where like you can change right. data. Like I think a big indicator that, that we see a lot is like on ATOs is we see people log into an account and they immediately change the address and it's not yeah. anywhere near where they used to be, you know? So we see those sorts of things happening. So we would need to have something like, you know, a check at address change or check it yeah. email change, you know, yeah. like those are, those are the things. So is that, is that what you're talking about? Can you tell me a little bit about, is sure, that yeah. what we can I mean do? 
Yeah, that's sure. Because, you know, because we're processing this data as it comes in, we can do multiple things. We can extract fields and attributes, you know, to send to third-party APIs or process them in our own machine learning to build signals. We can dynamically inject content. So, you know, things like third-party JavaScript, we've built a number of integrations um, with different fraud providers and, and, and companies that provide, you know, things like device intelligence and et cetera. That can be dynamically interjected anywhere else. So that's, you know, and you have many companies you know, that might be using a provider at the payment side of things. And, you know, we desperately love to deploy that across different points, but, you know, IT is still an issue. But it goes beyond just injecting a piece of JavaScript. When you get down to some of this policy abuse, it can be things like now they're, now they're waiting five seconds before they press the invite button and inviting 10 people, right? And then now it's actually they're waiting 20 seconds and they're inviting three people, you know, and it's, it's so that's that's what I mean by you know a lot of this abuse happens. It's but it's tightly integrated to how the application works. You know, like if you have to go to the engineering team to say, hey, can you hide this button or only enable X amount of invites per se, or you know, only it's 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 a you're fighting a losing battle. And so that's one of the things ways that Darwin can certainly help with for sure. I see you have all the notes here. I'm just going to prompt you right for it because I'm curious because it's it's something that I've seen happen for a decade. No such mm. thing as unknown sessions. Is that, <laughs> like, tell me all about that and tell all of us about that because I think we all struggle with that. And obviously, I probably already know because you deploy at the edge that yeah. there there's no way to not not go. Through, there's just no way to not get in there unless you're yeah. going through that endpoint at the end of the day. It's yeah, that's 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 very true. I mean, there's there's a couple of reasons. So just for the listeners, you know, that may not be familiar with uh, unknown sessions. Basically, for any device intelligence, you know, um, fraudsters, it can you, there's what's called you know an unattachment rate, which might be you know single digit percentage of your transactions that have no device intelligence associated with it. Um, but you know, that I've seen it as high as thirty and forty percent in different environments. You know, and so that really kind of calls into question the value that it's adding if if you're able to get around it. Yeah, so how what's the point of having a tool if you can't profile half your yeah. customers, you still, you have that much exposure, you know? So the symptoms is, okay, you see kind of unidentified devices for a great um, amount of traffic, but what's the causes? So there's a variety of causes. One of them is latency. Sometimes if you're serving, you know, uh, across customers across the globe, they might be on bad networks, that profiling data might take a, a while to, 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 um, to detect and record and to ship it back to the mothership, if you like. Um, so that's one reason. Uh, another reason is, you know, just people using privacy conscious, uh, you know, uh, third-party JavaScript blockers. And you know, there's ways that you know you can get around it, but at, by and large, you're not helped by the actual browsers and OS manufacturers themselves, which are actively blocking third-party, you know, data and collection within that. So that could be just, you know. Um, uh, you know, to do with the operating system. And then the third, obviously, is just a malicious actor trying to seize that, hey, there's a connection going off to a remote IP address, I can block that. So, Darwinium, okay, so how do we address that? And why do I say no, no sessions? Well, one is performance. Um, when uh, a piece of JavaScript is injected, we have our own proprietary um, uh, uh, data collection as well, as well as being able to collect, you know, uh, do that for your best of breed providers as well. Um, that actually gets served with the page. So by the time it arrives to the user, it's all it's already done. There's no kind of waiting there. Um, and you don't have any of those latency effects. So, you know, some companies sometimes introduce maybe a couple of seconds delay to make sure they can collect all the signals they need yeah, to do. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen redirects and all of those things, yeah. Yeah. 
So that so that goes away. And then the second thing is third-party JavaScript. I meant I meant you know um, I mentioned earlier that one of the trade-offs when we were going to customers made when deploying something like a threat metrics is that we had this third-party piece of JavaScript on their website, but the compromise was that, hey, we could share this intelligence and we could be more, um, you know, more effective. Darwin, one of the ways we uh, by bypass that challenge is that we actually profile from your IP address. So all the profiling happens from your infrastructure. It doesn't come via Darwinium. It goes directly from that end user's device to your organization. Again, you know, this is a big difference. Security loves it from a user's perspective, privacy, you know, way more private and fraudsters hate it because you know, there's no legitimate reason why they should be, that should be blocked. And the browser manufacturers see it as being profiling coming from that in your organization. So that's some of the ways that, um, you know, we deploy our own uh, profiling. Yeah, so, so how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's 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 great. I mean, it, it, as I said uh, earlier, you know, was, we feel very much like where Threat Metrics was when it's you know first moved over and you know launched into the US. So, you know, this is our third our third year. The first year was building and getting customer you know feedback. Uh, second year was you know getting you know early customers on board and expanding globally. You know, we have twenty four hour support. We're based in uh, the US, UK. And Australia, and actually soon to be adding to the Netherlands as well. Um, oh, wow. And then this year really is just consolidating on you know those initial early adopters, and you know the feedback from that we got from Merchant Risk Council and other things that we've done um, is showing that you know now is now is the right time. You know people I think were sitting at the uh, on the fence a little bit last year. You know there are uh, you know some yeah. uh, other cool companies that are doing some cool things. Uh, you know kind of get the message out about user journey orchestration. Um, and you know now it just seems like the time is right. You know our pipeline is 10x in the last few months, I, so it's. I think people incredible. are opening up to like their new like, we've been sitting and we've been inside for so many years, and we've we're finally starting to get back out there. You know I know it's been open for a year and a half or so, but a lot of people like I, I mean a lot of people even at this most recent Merchant Risk Council that was like their first conference back. And they're starting mm -hmm. to see, you know, they've been getting hit with all these new trends. They've been they've been playing the whack-a-mole for the past three mm -hmm. years while we've all been inside. So now they're finally starting to see what new products are out there. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's things that are solving for what I'm doing. So now they have they're curious. Uh, I mean, some companies are still spending money. I know based on the layoff data that I'm seeing, you know, not everybody is, but I mean. I think it's it's a, it's a really good spot. So I think it's a really good spot for you guys with a really emerging technology to be yeah. where you're at right now. What else are you guys yeah. working on? Are you guys working on more? Well, yeah, oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think um, the uh, I mean, one of uh, Gartner, many of you, your your listeners would be Gartner clients. You know, they have a a piece on user journey, or they call it journey time orchestration. I don't 100% in love with the term because what I described is more than just orchestrating API. It's about having full visibility, enhancement, and enrichment, which we call, you know, our digital mm -hmm. signatures. Yes, orchestration and decisioning, but it's and, but there's also remediation. That's really the journey that our customers go on. First is the light bulb gets switched on with visibility, then looking to enrich what they already have, you know, with these digital signals, and then you know, uh, orchestration and third-party, you know, APIs is kind of the step that kind of um, goes after that. But so what are we what are we working on? Well, I mean, really the founding, while while we say, you know, we're a risk-based user orchestration company providing continuous customer protection, 
Um, what we're really building at Darwinium is the self-driving car of cybersecurity and fraud prevention. I like that. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. I, I like that. You know, and it really, and people have heard me and know me long enough have been to, listening to me saying, hey, look, AI is going to change, you know, the way that we need, you know, the way that both attacks get done, but we also need to be able to seize on what AI can do for defense. Now, if you were building, and this is what I thought to myself, was if you were going to build the next generation fraud and cybersecurity company, what would you do? Well, what you would do is you would build both, not just machine learning uh, you know, models and AI for the defense, you would also build simulations for attacks as well. That's So cool. essentially the way that it's, That's yeah, cool. I mean, you know, uh, we own customer simulation.com, fraud simulation.com, cybersecurity simulation.com, you know, the, all, all of all of those um, domain names is basically where we see the where the puck is going. So essentially, why is ChatGPT so effective? Why are deep fakes so effective? I mean, by and large, the technology um, it changes, but essentially what it is is machines training machines. You have you know, things like mid-journey and others that, you know, you can type in, uh, at, you know, some text and it generates some beautiful art for you. How those work is you have one machine that's trying to get, trying to fool the other one and the other one's trying to detect it and they get a little cookie or the, the different, you know, the digital equivalent, an electron maybe, that then helps them self-train each other. And the difference between humans training machines, which typically can take days, weeks or months, is that these yeah. machines can run multiple learning cycles, you know, a a human, multiple millions of human lives can be run, you know, in a day or a week. That's, That's so cool. I, I think that like, you know, I like spoiler alert, everybody, I have heard this before. Um, and I, <laughs> that was like the big thing that really stood out for me personally was yep. that I think is, is something that like nobody else that I know is actually doing those simulations like that. And I think yep. that that's really, really freaking cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly, I mean, certainly we can't just enter and talk to customers and say, guess what, we're doing this because, you know, most times when you say you're an actually an AI company, people laugh you out the building, you know, based on the previous failed, you know, uh, you yeah. know tool that they I've, thought was going to solve the world. But, I've, I've heard know. that pitch a million times, that, that silver bullet coming in. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, and so actually we're risk.ai, you know, as well, you know, one of the, you know, first domain names we had. So, yeah, but once we heard there was a, People won't accept the message, but seriously, that's underneath the hood is, is what we're building is, you know, just where, you know, ThreatMetrics, one of its kind of moat, if you like, is, was, you know, having the largest kind of shared intelligence around digital identities. For Darwinian, the moat will actually be shared or, you know, models that actually understand more than they currently do today on a very limited basis that they do it. And do it before our adversaries, which are nation states, um, do it themselves and you know it, when people are hearing AI and again you know I, I don't like to be too negative and down you know <laughs> towards the end of our time here on the on the podcast but people need to have their eyes open that um, what we're attempting to build to defend against our adversaries are building to attack us with you know using machine learning and AI to simulate effectively whole entire populations of folks with their, you know, facial biometrics, with their keystroke biometrics, with their voice biometrics, all of that is up for grabs and it's a real arms race. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the ride we're on. Yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting. I think what you guys have built, and, and you know, I've been watching you guys for a few years now. Um, 
and then to see it really out there and see what you guys are doing, see the team you guys you've built, like it's it's pretty impressive. I like it. I think it's like uh you got you got some folks from the old days together there, don't you now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, threat metrics. You know, was the best one of the best things about threat metrics was the camaraderie in the teams and you know people, you know, we're kind of some of the best of the best there. And you know, I, I kind of got the best of the best of the best. Uh, I got the band together and um you know and and that's really we know that's really where a lot of confidence comes from and the confidence that a lot of customers have given us is the fact that you know we've been there we've done it we know what to build we know why to build and we know the 10 things that you don't realize you need uh, once you get through step one uh you know that's the experience the team has and um you know it I can't be prouder of the culture um, and it's worth spending just, you know, once, you know, just one minute on that, but, um, you know, yeah, I agree. we're, we're, we're three H's, you know, we're, we're hungry. So everyone has high ambitions, high plans, wants to see the world to be a better place and, you know, understand that there's a lot of work that need to be done, but enjoys that, that, that hard work. They're humble. So to a T, you know, and if any of your listeners hear anything other, other than that from, <laughs> Anyone at Dome, oh. I would personally like to know that, you know, we're humble, we're team players, that the best idea wins, not who says it the loudest or where they sit in the hierarchy. Um, the best idea always wins and we're humble and realize it's that you need a team, you know, teamwork makes a dream work. Um, yeah, as the same. it does. And, and the third, <laughs> third one, the other H is, you know, we held ourselves to high integrity. Um, you know, you should, you should, you know, expect that from anyone that you interact with at Darwin and you'll get the straight skinny, you know, the full story. Um, as they say in Australia, you know, play the straight bat, you know, as a cricket analogy that probably oh, will be lost. No. In- <laughs> I don't but, know. I got um, a lot for- of Australian listeners, actually. I do. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So that, that would be my final kind of closing statement. So, um, you know, that's yeah. what I hope you would expect from dealing with anybody across Darwin and from the top to the bottom. Excellent. Well, thank you again for your time. Um, I know it's early in the afternoon over there and the waves are probably calling. Uh, But uh, I've been wanting to have you on here for a while to talk about this. And I'm really happy that we were able to connect um, during the MRC. I know we were going to try and record it at the MRC. We both um, had lost our voices a little bit and had to enjoy the Ethica party a little more. So, um, (laughs) you know, we we, we made it happen. I'm really happy that that, that you were able to share the story and share what you guys are working on. I'm going to obviously put all links to everything in the description of this. Make sure that you're tagged in all the posts, um, that your company's tagged in all the posts. I really encourage all my listeners, if anything in this is really struck a chord with you, or if you had any sort of curiosities about, about what they do, to really reach out to them. They're more than happy to jump on, show you what they do. They, Like he said, they have an excellent team of people that are more than willing to, to spend the time to understand what you're looking for and really show you their product. So yeah, thank you, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed the content. Don't forget to visit my friends at Spec, who just happen to be this quarter's sponsors. Their patented TrustCloud platform can help you orchestrate the future of your fraud and payments journey for a quick and easy no-code implementation. It's really quite impressive. See it for yourself at www.specprotected.com today and ask for a demo on your very own site. Thanks again for listening.